welcome to this episode of On Finding Peace, brought to you by Life's Journey Life Coaching. Our host, Chris Shea, is a counselor, nationally recognized speaker, and author on topics of guiding us to finding peace in our daily lives. Learn more about Chris Shea by visiting his website, www.lifesjourneyblog.com. Well, welcome everyone to another episode of On Finding Peace. I'm your host, Chris Shea, and this is the podcast where we talk about practical tips that we all can do on a daily basis, which can lead us to finding our inner peace. I know that inner peace is possible. I've been without it. I've found ways to get it. And on this podcast, we talk about ways that we can find it and keep it on a daily basis. This is the podcast where we talk about practical everyday tips for living life in a peaceful way. And I'm very pleased to have uh, with me our guest, Brian Falchuk. And he. Hi. Oh, you're fine. Okay, um, interrupt and say hi. <laughs> I, I'm glad that you said hi. Uh, Brian is a uh, author, life coach, and uh, presenter. Um, so again, very pleased to have you with us. Thank you very much for having me, uh, Brian. If you can share a bit about who you are and kind of what brings you into this whole life coaching and presenting, and uh, we will take it from there. Excellent. So I am, uh, by day, I'm an insurance executive, which is not what brought me here at all. Um, <laughs> but the rest of the time, I'm a mix of a husband and father, and then the, the things that you mentioned. So I wrote a book uh, that I published in 2017 that is a, a bit of my life story and my journey, and most importantly, um, what I realized through that process that I've been sharing with people through my coaching and speaking work. And, and I realized I really need to put it out in a broader way to touch more people, touch more lives. And uh, it's a, a backstory I think a lot of us struggle with. Uh, maybe it manifests differently, but I grew up with a lot of anxiety. And um, that played out for me in terms of two, two major things. One is um, a serious battle with obesity and also um, just sort of being miserable. You know, always feeling like everything's about to fall apart. And if I don't jump in and grab hold of it, it's, it's you know, everything's just going to be terrible and, and fail. And so that means I would push people out of the way and just sort of always angry and anxious. And that is shockingly not a great way to live. Right. Um, I would love to say I, I naturally got better and um, everything was fine, but that wasn't the case. And I had this very strong moment in 2011 where it looked like I was about to lose my wife, who's still alive, but we didn't expect her to make it. Um, our son was two, and I had put on half the weight that I had lost a few years before, and I was miserable. And um, it was a, a call with her doctor when he was giving up that basically struck the backside and made me take a harder look at what I was doing with my life. And that's what transformed things and created um, this, this movement, this philosophy that I call do a day, which is what my book's about. And that's why I'm here. Right. And yeah, the book is called do a day, how to live a better life every day. Um, 
And I, I can imagine, you know, going through um, what you did at, at the time of uh, finding out about your wife and having that young child, I, I can imagine it has to be a, a life transforming experience. I, I don't see how it wouldn't be. Yeah, you know, I think um, I've seen people face, you know, maybe not the same thing, but similar things. And it's ultimately still a choice. And, you know, for myself, I'd had other moments throughout my life that could have been, I could have taken them as that lifeline to change. And I didn't. And this one was definitely more extreme. Um, but I had other points in my life where, you know, I, it's funny when I was writing the book, it, they didn't even cross my mind. But as I'm thinking about them now, I, as a teenager, I had a scare with bone cancer, um, lost my hand. And like, why, why didn't that wake me up? Right. You know, it's, it's just interesting there. We, we all go through things. Um, it's not a competition of whose things are worse or whose things are, you know, whose situations are, are more extreme. And so that's why they wake up or it, it's, it's just, it's relevant to our minds and as relative to our lives. We all have moments where we could have that wake up, whether we do or we don't becomes a point of self-understanding, self-worth, um, introspection, you know, a number of things that I think I was just in the right place for it all to come together. And, and I took the lessons from that and tried to put them together into cohesive thoughts so that other people can choose to grab that lifeline, whereas maybe they wouldn't otherwise. Right. And, and I guess there is that part of it where we do have to be ready to accept what life is giving us and, and to choose to make those changes or um, I, I guess just to run away from them, whether that be yeah. physically or mentally, emotionally. Yeah, absolutely. That That's 100% the point. And I think one thing I've learned through the coaching work that I do is not everybody's ready. And some people aren't even ready to get ready. And that's okay. Right. You know, we, we need to go about it when we're in a place where we're going to receive it and we're going to grow from it. And so a lot of the work that I do with people is they're not at that point where, you know, they've had the wake up and they're ready to go. They might be sort of trying to figure out, they, they just recognize things aren't okay and I don't like that. Well, that's a good first step. You, when you get that discomfort, that's a sign that you have a fork in the road and it's up to you which path you choose. One of the things that you talk about is unlocking your true motivation. Yeah. And I wonder if you could speak a bit about that because I, I get unlock your motivation, but when you put that word true in front of it, well, yeah, what is how that? does that change things or what is that really talking about? Yeah, so that and I, that's what I really recognized uh, in this moment back in 2011 because I was facing losing everything and because I was really failing the two most important people in my life other than myself. You know, it, it's not to be an egotist, but we all need to matter to ourselves. So other than you, what's most important to you? Right. And, uh, you know, it's, it's this woman who I chose to spend the rest of my life with and love and she may not make it past the next couple of weeks. And then this little boy who, you know, for any, any parents out there, you know, that feeling that, you know, my child's the most important thing to me in the world. And I recognize how badly I was failing them for her. It was to the point that she may not make it. And for him, it's to the point that he may not have a chance at happiness for the rest of his life. If I'm the only parent he has, and this is the way I am, you know, he's sort of, sort of doomed to, um, not be well adjusted, not be as happy as you can be if you've lost your mother at, you know, at age two. 
um, that was the jolt for me. Mm -hmm. I was recognizing, especially through his eyes, what was I not going to be doing for him that he desperately needed and couldn't do for himself. And to be fair, that's actually my story. It wasn't the loss of a parent, but it was the divorce of my parents and the way that that unsettled everything. Um, but for me, finding that motivation, it was this, you know, coming face to face with the failure, coming face to face with the pain that I felt when I recognized it and asking, you know, why does this hurt so much? And maybe it's an, an, an obvious question um, or something people are like, well, obviously it hurts if you're failing your child and you love them. Well, yeah, but you need to explore those feelings more and start to pick it apart is why does it hurt so much? And you start to understand, well, what do I want for myself? What kind of person do I want to be? What kind of life do I want to have? That's why it hurts because I'm in a disconnect with that and I'm getting further and further away from it. So it was in recognizing what kind of father do I want to be? What kind of role model do I want to be? What kind of life do I want my child to have? And what kind of happiness do I want him to have in life? And is my behavior and the way I'm living contributing to that or taking away from it? And I recognized it's, it's taking away from it. And that hurt me so much to see how I was failing who he could be. Because your kids are a blank canvas. Right. It's up to us to, to allow them to paint whatever picture we want. And for me, I was, you know, I was handing him the darkest colors and, you know, just like, it was just not going to be a good picture. Um, and I, you know, the same thing for my wife is I was doing a lot and, you know, making food and taking to her appointments and cooking and cleaning, you know, whatever, all that kind of stuff. But I wasn't there for her the way she needed from a, an emotional support standpoint, because I was so focused on the sky crashing down. And that's not who I want to be either. And lastly, you know, about myself, I, why do I need to live this way? Why do I need to feel this way? I didn't, I had never felt like I deserved better. I never felt like I was capable of breaking out of that anxiety. And frankly, it had actually served me pretty well. I was kind of the fixer in life. And so I had this justification for being so reactive and so constantly vigilant about everything falling apart. Uh, and what I recognize is, you know, I, my wife might physically be dying right now. I'm killing myself. It's just going to be slower than what she's going through but I'm not going to make it if I keep this up. Right. And, you know, I, I saw enough self-worth in that moment, or at least the hope of self-worth to recognize that I can do better and I want to do better and I deserve to do better. And that, that all came together in this sense of, okay, now, now you have a reason and now you're going to push forward and start to do what you have refused to do consciously or subconsciously to move your life ahead. Now, one of the things I, I was thinking, I had another question, but when you had just said that, what dawned on me was you recognize that self-worth by doing your reflecting on your emotions and, and some of the other, um, you know, actions that you were taking. What advice could you give, or do you even talk about this in the book, for people who can't find self-worth through this? Yeah. I mean, how would well, things have been different if you didn't find that self-worth, you know, like, well, life is going to be over when she's gone and well. Yeah. Yeah. So that, I mean, that's literally the starting point for the lesson part of the book. It's the starting point for every coaching engagement I have. Um, because we have to, I always talk about, you know, if you think about your life as a house and you've got your motivations, the foundation and your goals are the structure. 
you don't build your house on quicksand or marshland. You have to find solid ground to put it on. And that's the self-worth piece or the self-love piece. That's where, where I start. So I talk a lot with people about that and I try to help point out, you know, I have them recount their life and I listen to the way that they talk about it. I listen to the way that they talk about their achievements and are they, are they recognizing them or are they dismissing and diminishing them? Are they invalidating the way they felt about things or are they giving them space and saying, you know, this was really hard for me and I was hurting and, you know, it's not like, oh, I don't know what my problem was, which is a more negative way to look at, you know, when you're, when you're having that emotional pain. Right. Um, so it's, it's really a lot of back and forth discovery of who they are as a person. And I listen for things like I, I use this example a lot, but I had a really great client who was very down on herself and she was having trouble finding a, a new career. And she talked about, you know, I, I had her talk about her college experience about a decade earlier. And she was so dismissive of every aspect of it. And she did really well in school, but she was so quick to say that grades don't matter. And, you know, no one cares about that anymore. Like, you know, when you're 10 years on, it doesn't matter whether you got A's or not. Right. And then it was, you know, did you go to college? Yeah, but, you know, so many people have graduate degrees now. I said, well, okay, but did you go to college? Yes. Was it a good school? Yes. And you did well there? Yes. So let's just pause for a minute. You did well at a good school that was tough. You got good grades. So that means you're smart. And, and she didn't have a comeback for it. Like, you know, you start to just get people to see you're not as terrible as you may think you are. You are more capable than you believe you are. And the, the more you foster that, the more you start to build it. So I give them some exercises to allow for that. And the, the one that I talk about this a lot, but I call it stop the butt. Um, it's about where we say the word, but when we're getting a compliment. So when I, you know, would ask her these questions, it's like, you know, you got good grades. Yes, but you know, blah, 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 mm -hmm. or why that didn't matter. As soon as that word, but comes into your head, stop. It's just, yes. It's just thank you. It's just allow for it. You look beautiful today. Oh, but I, no, you look beautiful today. Very good. Thank you. You know, you, you, you that was such a great meal. Thank you. Oh, but I burnt the chicken. No, thank you. That's all you have to say. Just allow for good things about you to exist in the world. Stop trying to talk them down. And that little bit by bit will help. Why do you think we tend to do that? You know, because I mean, what you're saying is true. I mean, I, I can catch myself doing that, you know, thousand times a day or whatever it, that that just seems to be the natural flow oh yeah so I, I think there's there's a few reasons why we do it one is it's society um and that's not to lay blame elsewhere but we all uh, we you know at least in the western world we live in a society that it's fashionable to put things down it's fashionable not to take a compliment if you take a compliment you can be seen as an egotist so we do it under the guise of humility but there's also a societal aspect that sort of not misery loves company, but like the one who's more miserable wins. And you see it all the time at work. I was just reading an article today about the propensity of, of uh, people who are more successful to overstate how many hours they work. And the reason is that they're trying to appear like they're working harder or they had it harder or whatever it is. It's like, you, you know, you'll hear two people talking about who worked later last night or whose boss is meaner or, you know, how many hours they worked over the weekend or whatever it is how many emails they have in their inbox. And the winner is always the one who's worse off, mm -hmm. which is just so backwards. You know, it's like, so you slept two hours last night. Why is that a good thing? 
Why are you proud about that? And why, if I said I slept an hour, you'd feel like you failed? That we need to get more comfortable with positivity as a society. And it doesn't make you an egotist to allow something nice about you to exist, including that you don't have a miserable life. What if I feel guilty about that? Well, so because that's I know choice. people have miserable lives, but yeah. if I don't, I mean, I might feel guilty about that. Sure. Um, that's ultimately your choice. And just because someone else has a miserable life doesn't mean that you have to. That doesn't mean that you should gloat. Doesn't mean you, know, you throw it in someone's face, but it also doesn't mean that you have to talk down your life. Maybe just don't bring it up. You know, if someone's telling me about, you know, they, they just, uh, their, their parent just passed away. I'm not going to sit there and be like, oh, that's terrible. I just had a great dinner with my dad. Yeah, it's so great spending time with it. Like that's, you know, that's insensitive. But I don't need to say, you know, something negative about my father or my mother or whatever in response to that. Be like, oh, you know, that must be terrible. Yeah, you know, my parents were so bad to me. And so, you know, it, it's hard for me to imagine losing them. But you, it sounds like yours was a great person. You know, you, you don't need to put yourself down for the other person to succeed. In the same article about people who are competing on the hours, they were also saying uh, that, um, oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to forget exactly how they put it, but it was like, um, for me to be number one, that means someone else has to be number two or lower instead of maybe the whole team can win. You know, it's like, you don't have to put yourself down for the other person to be up. Yeah. And, and that really is a, a big shift when you look at culture, society, and ourselves. Um, oh, yeah. And I'm glad you brought up that article and, and we talked about this because a lot of my message is about perspective shift. How do we change perspective and looking at things? And this is a, a perfect example of a perspective shift. You know, yeah. stop looking at it the way society is telling you to and, and actually you know, admit to the positive in, in your life. Yeah, I totally agree, Chris. So one of the things that pops into my head, you know, based on the title of your book is the idea of the one day at a time, you know, and yeah. I've spent a lot of my career working in the uh, addiction field. And, you know, that is one of their big points, you know, is live life one day at a time. How is this similar, different to that? Yeah, so if you had just said one day at a time, I'd say it's very different, but you added something just now. You said live life one day at a time. Oh, okay. You brought, you brought a verb into it, and that's where I say there's a real difference, is to me, one day at a time has a sort of grin and bear it or like put up your hood and weather the storm. Just let it pass. Just get through this. That's not do a day. Do a day is proactive. It's about, it's, it's not about uh, get through so much as the day part is about today. It's about the present moment. So it's not about carrying the weight and the burden and the pain from yesterday, yesterday's mistakes, yesterday's misfortune, yesterday's losses into today. And it's also not about tomorrow. So that tomorrow was my big problem. All the anxiety about all the things that are going to go wrong or that you still have to do, or can you be anticipation of great things to come, but either way that draws you out of the present moment. And that's how a lot of us live is we live judging ourselves and others off of past experiences. And we live in fear or anticipation of all that's yet to come. 
and we end up throwing away our ability to do our best today because we're making choices from this pace of pain, anticipation, anxiety, fear, whatever words we want to use based on what's in our head. And so do a day is, it's never yesterday, it's never tomorrow, it's only today. So today, free from those two things, we're going to do what we need to do in pursuit of our biggest goals to move us forward. It doesn't matter whether we did it or not yesterday, and it doesn't matter how many more times we may or may not have to do it tomorrow, because all that we have to do right now is what's in front of us. And that's, you know, for me, like, the weight loss was such a great example of that. I lost 100 pounds the first time and 50 the second. Um, I, there's so many days I never started because 100 was too much. What I realized is I'm not losing 100 pounds right now. You know, I, I ran a marathon. I wasn't in day one. My total training plan ahead of me, was, including the race, was about 725 miles. I wasn't running 725 miles right now. It's not relevant right now. So focusing on it isn't going to help me. I just need to run the miles that are in front of me. I just need to go to the gym and make smart food choices today in pursuit of losing 100 pounds. But I'm not losing the 100 pounds right now, which frees me from all of this weight of you know, all the work that lies ahead and the impossibility of it because it's just too big. I really it's, like In that respect, it's, it's really different from one day at a time, you know? Yeah, exactly. And I really like that shift, you know, because one day at a time could just be a very passive notion where it seems you're adding in this very active idea. You know, right. what am I going to do each and every moment, each and every day? Yeah. Yeah. Now, how do you work around those areas that you really can't do anything about them? You know, it's, you know, when we hear the story about your wife and, you know, at that moment when you don't think there's much hope for a future, how does that impact that do, you know, when there's a big part of your life that there's yeah. really nothing you can do? Well, so in that moment, I had, I, I set my, my mind on three goals. And there were three things that I could do, I could control, I could get a better outcome for. I couldn't save my wife's life. I could contribute to her saving her own, though, by being a better husband to her, by standing by her, not adding to her stress, her anxiety, her fear about what was going on. Um, so that one of the three things that I set as my goal was around how I was showing up for the two of, you know, for her and my, and my son, for the two of them. And that was around finally dealing with this anxiety that I had that, you know, stemmed from when I was four or five years old, that I had every excuse in the book for never addressing. So while I couldn't change a lot of what was going on for my wife, there are things I could change. And there were plenty of other things that still mattered, whether my wife made it or not. Because if she didn't make it, the need to fix these things for my son's sake went up dramatically. And if she does make it, the need to fix these things for both of them is very strong because I need to be there for both of them. Right. So there's sort of like whatever the challenge is, it doesn't mean there's nothing else going on in our lives so we can still do better. You know, if it's raining outside and, and you were going to go out for a walk, well, okay, maybe you can't go for a walk. You could go with an umbrella or a raincoat or something, but there are other things you could do that also would be active. And you know, there's always a choice of whether you let that particular problem define your entire life or just the around it. 
And there's plenty more I needed to work on that I could do better on regardless of what was going on with her. And actually, when you allow yourself to see it that way, then you suddenly see it's not regardless. It's, it's actually that stuff that I thought was so impossible will only be better off and will benefit from me working on these things. So it really comes into, from what I'm hearing you saying is, you know, how you kind of shift your outlook and do self-reflection yeah. leading you to action. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, ultimately all these things, the way that we look at things is a choice and that there are a lot of people who get offended when I say that because they're like, you know, I didn't choose to get sick. I didn't choose for this. I didn't choose for that. Um, I have a podcast as well. One of the guys that I had on is a tap dancer hmm. who lost one of his legs to bone cancer. Hmm. I'm sure everyone listening understands tap dancing relies on you having your legs and having one leg makes that incredibly difficult that most people would say, well, that's the end of his tap dancing career. He didn't go into surgery to have his leg amputated with that feeling at all. He said goodbye to his leg. He had this little sort of thank you conversation with it for all the years. And he set his sights on how he was still going to dance even without it. And that's what he does. So, you know, you can look at these things any way you choose to look at them. It doesn't change that, you know, it didn't mean that his leg wasn't going to come off. It didn't mean that he didn't have cancer, but it did mean that he was going to own the outcome of it and the process forward, regardless of the card that was being dealt. And I think that's, you know, that's a really good example because that is pretty extreme. Most people immediately are just, you know, they look down and they look at their legs like, how would I deal with that? And to hear him that, I mean, that's his entire future was resting on him having two legs that he could dance on better than, you know, the majority of people in the world. Right. That was all vanishing in front of him, yet he didn't look at it that way. That to me is proof positive that it is a choice. Almost oh, definitely. And, you know, I, I believe it's a choice. I, I preach about choice and we all have those choices. You know, I, I hear a story like that, though, and I, I'm just in, in, in awe that a person is able to make that positive of a choice. Yeah. You know, it seems so natural to make the choice of woe is me versus the choice you know, that, that he had ultimately made, which yeah. obviously is the better one, but yeah. It's not easy. No. And, and he's, I mean, he doesn't hide that, you know, he definitely had his dark moments and he had a, a time where there was the why me kind of feelings and he let them happen. He recognized what they were. And then he said, okay, I'm done with that now because that's not serving me. And, that's the message that I get from so many people that I've interviewed with these really, um, I mean, I hope it's not, it's not too harsh of a word to use for them, but horrific stories of what they've been through in life. And they all, I keep hearing the same thing as I, I came to a place where I said, this isn't serving me anymore. And I'm throwing away all of my life and all of my opportunity over something that's not happening anymore. And I can't change. So I might as well choose to, have a different relationship with it and find a different way to go forward. Well, and, and that is definitely the way I look at it. Our, our challenge, you know, regardless of what's going on in our lives. Um, yeah. So when we look at everything that you're saying for the, 
listener who is trying to put this into their own life and trying to, you know, apply this, like how, how this fits and where do I get started with this? Um, I mean, I definitely encourage them to get your book. That, that's a number one. But <laughs> besides that piece, what, what might be some uh, tips that, that you would give, you know, that listener who's saying that this is awesome, but I don't know where to start? You know, like I want to, but I, I just don't know what to do with this. Yeah. So the, the first the first piece is, and we hit on this before, is a self-love. So you got to start there and you have to be willing to start there. So, you know, I, I shared that stop the butt, but you got to get to a place. I just said, but <laughs> you got to you got to get to a place where you're comfortable with the idea that you are good enough, that you deserve what you actually want to have in your life. And you're most importantly, capable of achieving it. So allow for that. The next is finding that true motivation. And the, there's a whole bunch of questions that I pose in the book, this whole chapter on how to start exploring for that. It's not a workbook. I don't, you know, I don't say like answer these three questions and bang, you've got it. This is deep introspective stuff that actually goes on for the rest of your life, which isn't, you know, that's a good thing because you want to be growing and learning and exploring throughout your life and especially exploring yourself and, and understanding yourself better. So the, I have a number of questions that I, you know, I give to people and I've actually wrapped them up and the thoughts behind it into a, a little exercise. You can download it, uh, doadaybook.com slash the exercise. But it's, it's really just about what will you always care about no matter what else is happening. It's the thing when people say dig deep, it's the thing you're digging for. You have to figure out what that is. Uh, so get, get willing to get introspective and curious with yourself. And then it's about what are you actually trying to achieve? You know, what's your hundred pound mission or your marathon or your career or your whatever that you want different in your life? Set your goal, set your intention for that. And then execution is do a day. You know, every day you go out and you do what you have to do in pursuit of that goal without the judgment and the pain and the loss from whatever happened before or any of the anxiety of all the other days you're going to have to do in pursuit of your goal because none of that's happening right now. So just go after it with that sense of freedom that it's the present moment and I can do everything that's in my power to make that happen. But that sounds like very practical things. And, you know, that's really what I think is important to get people started is, you know, when they realize, hey, this is something that I can probably do. Um, yeah. So I, I really appreciate, you know, those uh, points that you had mentioned. Um, in the uh, show notes, I'll put links to uh, your book as well as your website so that people can, uh, you know, find all of that. But what would be the best way for people to um, learn more about you um, or even contact you for further information or help? So the best way is the hardest to spell, but it's uh, brianfalchuk.com. So it's my name. It's B-R-Y-A-N-F-A-L-C-H-U-K.com. And that's, I link out to everything I do. So all the articles that I've written, um, obviously the book, I've got another book in the works. It's probably a year away, but that's okay. Excellent. Um, I've done some Ted talks and other stuff. So it's all linked up there and they can find me. And of course, find me on social media at Brian Felchuk on you know Twitter and Instagram and Facebook. It's all over the place. Right. Um, yeah. And like I say, I'll put that web link up in the show notes. So, 
Uh, people don't have to worry about the proper spelling or anything like that. Just go into the notes, click the link, and that will take everyone to where they need to go. That's excellent. Thank you. So, and, and I do, uh, you know, encourage everyone to buy the book. You know, there is a lot of the wisdom in there. And, you know, regardless of what we're going through in life and how intense it may feel, really what you're talking about is applicable for day to day, you know, from what we might think is the smallest to what we might think is way impossible to handle. Uh, yeah. I really think we can take this and apply it. Yeah, I would agree. Of course, I'm biased, but <laughs> I've seen it firsthand, so I know it's true. Exactly. Um, all right. Awesome. Well, again, thank you for taking the time to join us. And I really appreciate all of the uh, sharing that you gave to myself and to the audience. My pleasure, Chris. Thanks so much for having me on. Thank you for listening to this podcast episode. And I hope that the message in this episode has inspired you and given you some of the tools that you need to find peace in your life. If you have found those tools and you found this to be inspiring and you know of others who also need these tools, please share this podcast with them. Let them know of the opportunities out there that they too can find their inner peace. Thank you very much for the sharing. Thank you for listening. And have a very mindful day. Thank you for listening to this episode with Chris Shea. Learn more about Chris Shea by visiting his website, www.lifesjourneyblog.com.